It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Everybody who lives in Las Vegas thinks they know everything about entertainment here, but they don't. There is, however, one man who knows more than anybody about Las Vegas entertainment, and that is my guest, John Katzlamidis, otherwise known as Katz, the man about town whose column runs daily on page 3A in the Las Vegas Review Journal. And you can follow Katz on Twitter at Johnny Katz at K-A-T-S, at Johnny Katz, and on Instagram and Johnny Katz one and also on the ReviewJournal.com website where you can watch them on 7 at 7 and Cats. Welcome back. Hey, Ira. Good to be here. How you doing, sir? Doing well, thank you. You look fit and fiddle, even though people can't see you, I can, which is always good. <laughs> Let's start out with the most important question. How has COVID affected entertainment in Las Vegas in the long run? And take as much uh, time as you need to explain that one. Uh, in the long run, I think what we're looking at is some of the uh, changes that we've seen in policies for attending shows might stay. You might be seeing intermittently masking come and go over the long term. I think that's one of the things. I think that the venues have, will be cleaned more frequently, more, you know, kind of disinfected more frequently. Those are kind of, you know, on a smaller scale. On a larger scale, I think um, it'll affect entertainment. I think the places will have to continue to reinforce their message of safety to people who are coming in, who are tourists, especially tourists from overseas, when they start flying back over remind them that they've followed all the policies and all the procedures and directives over the course of time and this is a safe place to be i think there will be some permanent language in some of these in, in the venues as they continue to reopen do you see some of that same language in terms of the marketing of las vegas as a whole in other words the material from lvcva do you think it'll incorporate some of that safety aspect to not only the united states but around the world yeah i think i think we'll have to i think we'll have to I reiterate that Las Vegas is not only, a, you know, an international destination where you can have fun and do business concurrently, but it's also a safe place to do all that. And that will be uh, important, as again, as we reopen convention business, not only in, across the country, but from overseas. You know, I th my feeling, Ira, is that, as you know, as I'm sure you know, too, that Las Vegas is not going to be fully reopened and, and back to completely open throttle until we get our international convention business back on, a, on an annual basis. And that hasn't yet happened and it will, it will start to happen in the uh, latter part of, of this year in, into the, from the fall into the winter and uh, into the first quarter of next year. So safety is going to be part of our messaging as much as, uh, as uh, having a, a good time <laughs> within our own, the rules that we make and, uh, and being able to conduct business in Las Vegas too. On a personal note, because you do go all over the place, what precautions do you take in terms of being able to feel comfortable covering that beat? I, uh, I follow all the directives of, that are in front of us. I, I listen to my doctor. <laughs> I, I follow the rules of the venue. Um, iHeartRadio a few weeks ago, they had us not only proof, show proof of vaccination, but also quick test to get in. I did that. I wear masks where I'm supposed to. I was at ZZ Top. I had to wear masks during the show. I did that. I just follow the rules and, and uh, confer with my physician, you know, my, my doctor, and make sure that I'm uh, that I'm protected. I'm vaccinated. I got vaccinated early. 
if I need to get the booster uh, and fall into that category, I will do it. Our company is um, is, man- is a mandatory vaccination. The Review Journal, we have to show proof also. So there's that. Yeah, over the weekend, I attended two major events, the, the Wilder Fury fight on Saturday night and the Raiders-Bears game on Sunday. I follow all the rules inside the uh, uh, T-Mobile Arena and Allegiant Stadium. And uh, I will be uh, this weekend attending the Power of Love Gala, where we're supposed to show not only proof of vaccination, but have a, a COVID test within 72 hours. And I do that, too. So I get asked this a lot about about my own involvement in the community and my own. Um, I believe we're hearing a train behind you, which is a great sound. Is that me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> it, it probably is. Yeah, I look down. Uh, as I say, if you hear Ira a, a train <laughs> or sirens, <laughs> they're playing our song uh, <laughs> right near what used to be a, a Union a Union Park. So these called now Symphony Park back there, right? Yeah, <laughs> Union Pacific Railroad Park. I think. Union, Union <laughs> Anyway, um, but I'll be at the, uh, speaking of Symphony Park at the uh, Power of Love Gala, which is, a you know, the KMA's benefit for the uh, Cleveland Clinic, Lou Rubo Center for Brain Health. They're requiring us to show vaccinations, too. So I uh, my own take on this, I'm asked about it a lot because I have been out a lot when things opened up a year ago in June. Even before then, I went up to Idaho and visited my family during the, the, the lockdown. I drove up there. I I just have obeyed the CDC and the, the medical side of this thing all the way through. And, uh, you know, touch wood, I've been pretty pretty lucky. I think my doctor says I, he, he believes, we both believe I had contracted it and been exposed to it early in March of 2020. Yeah, I tested positive for the antibodies then, and it tested, it's not 100% accurate, but accurate enough. And, they, and he thinks that uh, I, I have... It's come and gone with me early on, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm safe and I'm healthy. So, you know, that helps. Well, yeah, that's the main thing. <laughs> you got to stay healthy, folks. <laughs> exactly. Looking at some of the lessons learned by either entertainers or and or entertainment directors as a result of COVID, have you picked up from the people that you talk with, both entertainers and entertainment directors, the lessons that they've learned either in terms of shaping a room a certain way, the protocols involved, perhaps during COVID when it was really intense to do streaming shows. Have you heard of some of these lessons that they've learned? And what, what are some of those lessons? Well, if you're talking about uh, the techniques of, of just conveying entertainment online, a lot of my our friends have figured out how to do live streams and things of that nature. You know, shows on, on Facebook Live, there have been a number of folks who have really developed the the skills where they had no you know they had no idea that they would be performing on on a digital platform so we have had a lot of them i'm off the top of my head i'm thinking of people like earl turner who's done kind of a talk show online Brody dolanek who was actually the first act to open at the smith center in the reynolds hall last weekend with the symphonic rock show has done some great things online to keep himself out there you know, Frankie Marino has done different things online. There's a, there's yeah. been a number. Kelly Clinton and Lena Prima did a, a kind of a coffee talk show that was really good on Facebook. So Frankie, Frankie Shinta too. What's that? Frankie Shinta as well. Shinta, that's right. Frankie's show was run has run regularly, and that was that's developed a huge following. I've even jumped in on that uh, a number of times. 
Um, even I was doing um, Instagram live off my deck every like Sunday early on in the COVID just to keep my conversation going with, with the followers. And that was a lot of fun. So I think that the, that people have become more digitally intelligent, more digitally educated in their entertainment than they than they were before, especially veteran entertainers, you know. And we've seen a lot of uh, a, a lot of obviously a lot of people have just blown up on TikTok. Sarah Hester Ross, who does Thursday nights over at Notoriety Live at Minneapolis, has become a, a TikTok sensation with her her Florida man videos that are a comedy piece that she plays a piano on. There uh, every week she does a, a satirical song about a headline that includes the words Florida man. These are, these are real stories out of Florida, man. And they are funny. And she plays a musical bed. She's taken off and she's developed a residency every week at Neonopolis on Thursdays as a result of it. So there's a way to, we found Xavier Mortimer, the magician over at the Strat. He's, he's has a huge TikTok following. Now he had never really been on TikTok at all before COVID. It's amazing, isn't it? How that works. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a, a real eye opener. You mentioned some of the veteran performers, and I always wonder whether that kind of entertainment will be part of Las Vegas going forward. What I mean, well, I think I explained what I meant. In other words, the veteran performers who have been part of Las Vegas for decades, will there always be a venue for them, despite the development of technology and despite the restrictions of COVID and despite the changing demographics, will there always be a venue such as the Italian American Club or other venues in Las Vegas for those kinds of performers? Yeah, question, because we've seen a lot of venues that have cropped up has forced some some closings of venues and changed the environment a little bit. We've seen the Italian American Club is a big one. Uh, the Nevada Room and the Vegas Room and the, at the Commercial Center has had great entertainment. Uh, Kelly Clinton's been there now. We've had some really cool shows at the Italian American Club. We're going to have Tom Dreesen in there on Sunday, and who opened for Frank Sinatra. He's doing a show at the Italian American Club. That's a throwback type of show. I've mentioned Notoriety Live. That's a big one at Neonopolis that Ken Henderson has. The Mosaic on the Strip, which is a freestanding uh, venue, uh, theater and showroom, across the street from Park MGM has had continual entertainment since we've been allowed to reopen with a show called Queens of Rock. We've had Ozzy Heat, which is a male review. MJ, The Evolution, a Michael Jackson show. A mob story, late of the plaza, is going to be moving in there. They're also developing a drag show in that room. Very busy across the street. Uh, like I said, just just, uh, just north of Showcase Mall on the strip and across the street from Park MGM. So, um, yeah, and there's, there's, there are many others. The Copa Room and Bootlegger Bistro and the Bootlegger Restaurant, where Santa Fe and the Fat City Horns play, and Joey Milotti plays in the restaurant has has been very busy with the with local live entertainment and we've been able to see folks you know perform in these places i mentioned kelly i mentioned uh, uh keith thompson who uh has has had a piano show over at the uh at the nevada room we've had a great late night comedy show over at notoriety i mean it goes on and on and fortunately we've seen um i always say life finds a way and uh for some of these entertainers who still are kind of what we call small cap, small capacity headliners, they are finding venues to perform. And they're really cool. These places, the Nevada Room, the Italian American Club, uh, Mosaic, beautiful, Notoriety is a great place, a Coke Room. These are really nice, refined places where you can have a great time. And uh, I've spent a lot of time in all of them during COVID. Do you view yourself, I've never asked this question, you've been on the show many times, do you view yourself as 
a bridge between old school and new new school, or do you just see yourself just in the present and that's it? Or, or in other words, are you viewing yourself as a writer and reporter, especially on that beat, as a transition between the old school entertainment and the new school entertainment? Yeah, I think I have to be. Yeah, that's that is it. You know, because Las Vegas has become that. You know, um, if you look at just last night, for example. Uh, or just over the last weekend, I should say, I went to on Friday night. I went to see ZZ Top at the Venetian Rock and Roll Band, old school rock band at the Venetian Theater, the old uh, Phantom Theater. Place was packed. After that, I went to Area 15, the new entertainment, uh, <laughs> atmospheric, immersive entertainment district, just west of Interstate 15, off of a uh, off Rancho, and and saw a new burlesque show called Rated Red that started at 11 and it had all kinds of, it was a, it was a kind of a, a traditional format for a burlesque show, but they had all kinds of events, video mapping around the room and, and video displays. It was a, an unbroken series of burlesque numbers that were very contemporary. And that was back to back on, on a Friday night. So I will say, and I'll probably go into soon. I will go to see Zed maybe even uh, as soon as possible over at Zoop Nightclub and Tiesto over there too at Resorts World. That's a, a first-class night, uh, you know, that has just opened at Resorts World. So I am, uh, yeah, uh, I am. I have to be everywhere. I have to be the guy that goes to the Hakkasans and the Zook and the Omnia and covers EEC as much as covers uh, Guns and Roses at Allegiant Stadium, who wants to cover Tom Dreesen at the Italian American Club also, you know. So uh, I cover Cirque du Soleil and I, I cover um, all, all this uh, other stuff that's, uh, you know, individual DJs that are that are playing around town. So ventriloquists. Because you're able to, you have the flexibility to be the man about town and to see all these different types of entertainment. Has there been one time in your whole career here in Las Vegas that you felt like a fish out of water in when you've been into a particular venue or environment? Let me think. I just thought of it, and I thought that was a good question. I, I think, Ira, to, to uh, the one that, that worked to be very adaptable, but I say I think the early days of the Electric Daisy Carnival caught me a little. It, it caused me to backpedal a little bit simply because of the scale of it. I hadn't seen anything, any electronic dance music uh, festival that big before. And I had ver hadn't seen very many shows, uh, period, at that level, 100, 100 plus thousand people each night. And the way that they delivered the entertainment on multiple gauges and, the, and how much technology and manpower and ingenuity went into that. And the way the crowd was to the entire community was of a certain mindset. I'll <laughs> just put it that way. They were dressed kind of alike. They were all under the same atmospheric influence. And I went out there and I remember I was walking around with my buddy Dave Kerbin, who, who runs Kerbin Go Communications and who were about the same age and, and uh, you know, both come from the same place. And I'm like, we're walking around and we're thinking, man, this is really different. And we have we got to get used to it. He was his company was representing it as, as a PR, and I was covering it for then for the for Greenstone Media Group. That was one that I thought, wow, things are changing in Las Vegas when they took over the Speedway and did all that. That, that, that one springs to mind. But otherwise, I think uh, 
You know, we had a show here recently called Hot Trash, too, that was down in the Arts District that was put on at the Majestic Repertory Theater that was a, a throwback uh, adult production. A, a, what do they call it? A peep show? Peep show. Peep show, yes. Yeah, a peep show. And that one threw me off a little bit, too, because I didn't know what I was getting into. And I hadn't seen anything like that in as a proper show in Las Vegas before. before. And uh, uh, Troy Hurd and, and his group, and Grace Lusk, who's in Opium, is, was one of the main creative minds behind it. And this was a very adult comedy, really raunchy show. And I was, was sitting there watching it, and, and I was a little bit like, wow, this is, for, for Las Vegas, this is a, a facility that's really on Main Street in Las Vegas. It was, uh, you know, a hideaway venue. It was an eye opener. It was a, it, it was very different. I hope it comes back because it was so different that it was really raunchy but really funny too. Uh, that was a recent one. That was a few months ago. Don't you think though, sometimes when you encounter something that you're not familiar with or uncomfortable initially with, that it's a way to grow a little bit. You're not you're, you're challenged a little bit more than you normally would since you've seen so much over the years. Yeah, I think that's important. I think it's important for Las Vegas to be that too, frankly. I think Las Vegas has to be you know, explore the boundaries, let's say something like hot trash or some of the some of the more adult titles we've come through. I think that's what Spiegel World has achieved with Absinthe uh, Atomic Saloon Show and Opium is is go to the boundaries, extend the boundaries of what most people would consider good taste and make it work within the confines of what Las Vegas is. You know, I, I remember years ago talking to Oscar Goodman, then Oscar, Mayor Oscar Goodman, and he was we're talking about this very topic. And he said the thing that, that Las Vegas does so well is expand the rules. We what is what is allowed according to the rules, according to policy, according to law, has been expanded in Las Vegas. Um, you can still get all different kinds of entertainment in any city in the United States, but it's not mainstream. It's not it's not marketed. And for Las Vegas to set itself apart, there is going to—I I feel, in my opinion—is it's going to have to embrace all types of entertainment, entertainment, not just the Cirque du Soleil's of the world, but the salacious stuff. There's, there are going to be conventioners who want to come into the city and explore what you know, what is a little bit, um, you know, risk, risque, ribald, and that means I have to do it too, and uh, and and then, and then own it. It's funny when I walk into a place like, uh, you know. One of these offshoot venues, whatever they are, we use Majestic Theater as an example. And I walk in and it's like they know that this it's some level of um, authorization, you know, <laughs> that the that the that mass media is paying attention. You know what I mean? And uh, until that until that happens, they're kind of underground. But when I walk in, it's like, OK, we're being we're really being noticed now. If cats come. <laughs> we finally reached the, you know, the point of, of mass media. You know? <laughs> but I do feel that. I really do. I feel I want to, you know, you always want to grow as a, as a professional anyway, and as a person. So and, and Las Vegas does allow you to do that. It's true. You walk for you when you walk into a place, it, it has an effect on people because they're being, as you said, recognized as possibly mainstream at this point. Do you feel that as a reporter and as a writer and covering a beat that because of your influence that you're going to obviously see the best of people when you encounter them, whether they're performers, entertainment directors, producers, etc. And do you are you able to separate the wheat from the chaff in the sense that when someone's being a little bit, and let's face it, it's entertainment, so a lot of people are going to be 
one way to you because of what you represent and who you are. Are you able to navigate those waters? And so you obviously you do in terms of writing the story, but just I was just curious and from a personal point of view that you know people are friendly to you. Are they friendly to you as a person or because of who you represent or a combination of the two? I think, um, well, it helps to be a nice person. That's true. <laughs> you, know, you have to treat people with respect and all that stuff. And I have to keep that in mind, you know, because I get, you know, there's a, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of energy that comes into me for, from people who are eager to get attention and get, you know, their, their projects known and themselves known. So I have to remember that, you know, to, to treat everybody, you know, with, with you know, have, be present when we're talking about what they're doing and, and, and so they continue to, to con- confer with me because and converse with me. I don't know. I can't say. I think a lot of, uh, I, I think a lot of performances that I attend have been when they know I'm coming in, they'll, they'll, uh, put their, they'll try to have their, their number one cast on the stage without any swings. They'll make sure that everything's in order, that, that all the, all the bells and whistles are right. All the technology is straight. All the choreography has been enacted. I, it's funny. I over my career, I've been kind of reluctant to, <laughs> or been advised, maybe even not to uh, discourage is the word, not to attend opening nights like preview openings. You know how this works. Like if somebody has a new show and they're bringing it in, and they don't want me to see it necessarily. They certainly don't want me to write about it until it's like ready, quote unquote. So you'll go in, if I go in and, and see a show, it'll be like, please don't write about it until we're ready for our formal pre- formal uh, opening. So, you know, that happens a lot. I, it happened to me recently with a show called uh, uh, Illuminate, which is a, a show that is, uh, it's a dance show with the performers are in like LED trimmed uh, costumes and it's in the dark of the Strat Theater. Strut theater is completely dark and the dancers are all lit up and they're, they're moving. And uh, the woman, um, Miral Cockby is her name is a choreographer and a computer programmer. And she has, you know, devised this choreography that's very high tech. Well, a show like that takes a lot of runs to get right. And I went in and saw some of the, the preview. A show like I Illuminate will take a lot of runs to get right and a lot of performances. And they have actually taken it down for a period of time to, to rewrite it and tweak it a little bit. And then they're going to have another formal opening later this month. But that's an example of, you know, a show that um, they put on stage and will have to be kind of rehearsed in, in, in effect in front of ticketed audiences before it can be properly addressed by someone like me who's going to tell the world about it. <laughs> so, um, you know, in a roundabout way, I think I am treated differently based on uh, on me working at the in, in mass media and all the social media work I do too, you know, people follow me on um, Instagram and Twitter and in the column to, to know what's going on and if things are worth attending. And if I'm there, it's probably worth attending anyway. So they know that it's important. Yeah, you know, that, that, that makes respond, sense. Respond accordingly. As one of the original multimedia guys, are you finding that the digital world is helping you in terms of your reporting? Because not only are you writing, but you're doing audio, you're doing video, uh, you're you're posting on Instagram. Do you find that that it, it obviously it's a lot more work for you, but do you feel that it works out for you in terms of getting your messages out there? Yeah, I think what it has done is given us uh, all of us who do this um, 
another uh, set of options to tell stories. It gives us other avenues. So, you know, it used to be you'd, you'd go out and you'd observe something or you'd go out and you'd talk to somebody, you'd come back and write about it, and then you're on to the next thing. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of material out there that I talk about that I, that I post in social media that doesn't necessarily make the column or there's a, a little bit more, there's more information on social media than will make the actual uh, cats. And I like that because then you can, you know, you report in real time. I went to the immersive Van Gogh experience at Crystals, the shops at Crystals, and it just opened uh, last week. And uh, I was able to do video and photos right from the event and show people what it was and, and, uh, and post about it that way before I wrote the column. Which is in, you know, was in the, in the print edition and online over the weekend. So that helps tell the story in a multi-dimensional way. I like video stand-ups all the time out there. I do, you know, quick interviews, even, you know, I did an interview with Mark Chinook at the uh, Allegiant Stadium before the Raiders opener, season opener. That was really cool about a minute to, to find him. It's just another way to tell stories. And if you're a journalist of any merit, you know how to find news, whether it's visually or something that you can write about or talk about instinctively and the fact we have social media is another outlet if, if you know what you're doing and you're not afraid of the social media technology you can be really effective well that's a great way to leave it my guest has been john katzlamitas otherwise known as cats the man about town whose column runs daily on page 3a in the las vegas review journal and you can catch him on the reviewjournal.com website you can follow cats on twitter at johnny cats k-a-t-s johnny cats and on instagram at johnny cats one and you can watch him at seven at seven on the review journal website as well cats thanks for being on the show anytime ira always always a pleasure same here see you next time you've been listening to talk about las vegas with ira Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world.